I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fifth Emission. In a 6-3 ruling on Thursday, the Supreme Court gutted affirmative action, marking the end of considering race in admissions at U.S. colleges and universities. It's been a decades-long battle waged by the Students for Fair Admissions, a group led by Edward Bloom, a former stockbroker and activist who's been hell-bent on ending affirmative action since 2003. Bloom's brought a number of cases to the Supreme Court, and he just won his biggest legal victory, with two cases involving Harvard University and the University of North Carolina. The opinion issued today by the United States Supreme Court marks the beginning of the restoration of the colorblind legal covenant that binds together our multiracial, multiethnic nation. In these latest cases, the voices of some Asian American students were brought to the forefront, like the concerns prospective Brown University student Alex Shea shared with ABC News. I've heard a lot of people that say like, hey, affirmative action, it's a good way to overcome past discrimination. But in in my experience as an Asian American, I'm not exactly sure how that works for me because it's much more difficult for Asian Americans uh, to gain admittance to schools than for white students, for instance. Shea and others have argued that Asian Americans have been the victims of affirmative action and that it has harmed their ability to be admitted at prestigious universities. But recent polling from Pew Research has shown that among Asian Americans who are familiar with affirmative action, more support it than not. Today on Fifth Emission, a reaction from one Asian American community member who says the ruling in the long run, will be harmful to all groups, including Asian Americans. Vincent Pan is the co-executive director of Chinese for Affirmative Action, or CAA, a San Francisco nonprofit organization that was founded in 1969 to achieve racial equity for Chinese Americans and other groups. He'll share why he thinks affirmative action has actually been beneficial for Asian Americans and why the narrative in these latest Supreme Court cases omits an important perspective. Pan will also share why affirmative action has been a rich historical issue for progressive Asian American activists in the Bay Area and what the stakes are now that the Supreme Court has largely ended the use of race in admissions. Vincent Pan, welcome to Fifth Admission. Thank you for having me. Vincent, it came as no surprise that the Supreme Court rejected affirmative action at universities on Thursday. I'm sure you were bracing yourself for this decision, but even so, tell me your reaction to the news. Well, it's it's tough. Like you said, it's not a surprise, but that doesn't make the pain of knowing what's going to happen for millions of students of color around the country any more bearable. We could see the writing on the wall when former President Trump began stacking the court with right-wing appointees. And as we saw other anti-civil rights decisions come from this court this year, it was pretty clear what was going to happen in this ruling. And so I think advocates who care about racial justice and civil rights have been not only bracing, but you know really preparing for what a post-affirmative action world looks like in the world of higher education admissions. Yeah. And one of the arguments against affirmative action centers on the concept of meritocracy, that access to prestigious higher education should depend solely 
on a student's academic merit. But, you know, admissions have historically been highly exclusionary. Many admit students because their parents attended or worked at the school, for example. You know, as someone who has worked on issues of educational equity, can you unpack for us this idea of meritocracy? Well, meritocracy has always been a myth in the United States, and it's held up now as perhaps this new way to go. But we've never had meritocracy in the United States, and it's just been a way to cloak tactics that really you know, move us backwards, especially at the most selective colleges and universities. The overwhelming advantages go to students whose parents are alumni, to wealthy donors. In some ways, you know, we're not seeing a a move towards meritocracy, we're just seeing a move towards the hidden affirmative action that just perpetuates really the roots of the historic origins of this country, which has to support white supremacy. Mm -hmm. And perpetuates the idea of the model minority myth that Asian Americans have to face. Well, I think that's one thing that's particularly painful for me and for the organization where I work, to see Asian Americans used in this very exploitative way, this very cynical way. When you look at the ruling, it's clear that Asian Americans had very little to do with it, that the folks who ruled against affirmative action have always been against affirmative action because they've always been against racial progress. They've always been against civil rights. You know, that the, the main litigator in this case against affirmative action has a whole career built on fighting against voting rights, fighting against equal rights, and actively sought out Asian Americans to be part of his case when we know as Asian Americans firsthand how exclusion and violence and and oppression have been part of our experience and that race matters. So it's disheartening in that way as well to put a a finer note on it. You know, the, the case that they brought against Harvard, you know, intentionally excluded Southeast Asians in their definitions of Asian Americans. Right. And so they really were not only using specific Asian Americans, but the whole concept of who is an Asian American to suit their particular motives. Well, let's get into the arguments made by some of the judges, starting with Chief Justice Roberts. Now, in his opinion, he wrote that the programs at the center of the ruling at Harvard, like you mentioned, and UNC, quote, unavoidably employ race in a negative manner and involve racial stereotyping. He says that giving black and Latino applicants an edge over white and Asian applicants in the name of diversity violated the Constitution's 14th Amendment. Tell me how this narrative of Asian Americans being victims of affirmative action came about and why has it been such an enduring and effective argument as we're seeing with this ruling? For decades, you know, uh, Asian Americans as a model minority, you know, have really served two different conservative right-wing strategies. The first is to hide the real needs in the Asian American community. And whether these are Asian Americans who are lower income, who are refugees, who are immigrants, who Southeast Asian, let alone Pacific Islanders, it kind of masks all those challenges that we know exist in the Asian community that are the result of institutional and historic discrimination and racism. But the other part of the model minority myth is to suggest that other communities of color, you know, should just pull themselves up by their bootstraps and that, you know, that there is no history at work, that there is no, you know, systemic racism to have that come from, you know, Justice Roberts in this way. 
I think is is very painful. But I also think that you know the other part of what he is really disavowing is what you know all of us who have had meaningful educational experiences know, which is that education is not only what you're reading in a textbook, but it's the interaction with your classmates, with others on the student body. That education is not just a series of standardized tests; that it's meant to prepare us for a meaningful life. And a meaningful life involves interacting with other people, especially other people from different backgrounds as well as similar backgrounds, and to figure out how we can make this country work for all of us.、Mm-hmm. Well, on that note, in a dissenting opinion, Justice Sonia Sotomayor said that quote, "Today, this court stands in the way and rolls back decades of precedent and momentous progress." From your perspective, what's the progress that's been rolled back, and has that progress included? Asian Americans, even as they've been painted as victims of affirmative action. Well, so obviously, I work at Chinese for affirmative action, and so you know, we were founded in 1969, and we have direct evidence and proof that every single gain that's occurred for Asian Americans has been because of policies and programs and initiatives that directly confront racism and, and discrimination, and not by sticking our head in the sand and pretending that somehow race doesn't matter. And still to this day, Asian Americans are fighting an escalated risk of anti-Asian hate, especially with a, a rising China. And this plays out not just in education, but it plays out in the desire to have more representation in politics or in the media, or you know, to make sure that we're appropriately you know, treated in, in the workplace, even as we're walking you know, down the streets and riding the subway. And so, like, race is a defining part. Of not only American history but of Asian American history. So I think part of what you know the justice is referring to is that you know since the civil rights movement, really many of the major gains have been through this reckoning that as Americans we understand that race matters and that we should confront it. And I think the other part of what's rolled back is actually you know legal precedent. So the idea that laws that have been in place that have been decided by the Supreme Court. Can change so quickly simply because the composition of the court changes is very dangerous for democracy in general. For decades, Bay Area Asian American activists have organized in support of affirmative action. How did that narrative change, and what are the stakes now? Vincent Pan from Chinese for Affirmative Action will share after a quick break. You're listening to Fifth and Mission. You can support the newsroom that creates this podcast by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com/pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. Vincent Pan, the Supreme Court decision to strike down race-based admissions in higher education is a really big deal for the whole country. But the Bay Area also has this really unique history with affirmative action. Asian American activists here have long organized for affirmative action, including your organization. How did the Bay Area become sort of an epicenter of that activism? Well, in part, it's a, a function of, of demography and, and history. So, you know, in San Francisco, we have a very large proportion of Asian Americans compared to other major cities, and we've been here for. Literally hundreds of years, you know, and I think that one of the things that has been erased is the way Asian American activism has really fought 
not just for our community, but for all communities. You know, when Asian Americans and CAA fought against discriminatory admissions policies at the UCs in the 1980s, it was to protect affirmative action. It was to make sure that all students who had previously been left behind, you know, could be included. This is what the battle for ethnic studies and Asian American studies and critical race theory is about. This is what the battle to remove the racially biased SATs and ACTs from college admissions is about. So I'm still very confident that, you know, those who identify themselves as anti-racist, who identify themselves as as uh, supporters of racial justice won't back down from this ruling. I think that you know, we've got to continue to fight and be even more assertive on creating the type of not just campuses and, and colleges that we want, but really the type of society that we want. Well, on the note of the work that continues, now that affirmative action is banned, how should universities and colleges achieve diversity on their campuses? I know they're employing a lot of different strategies, but... Do they need to rethink what that strategy needs to be now or double down on what they're doing? Well, I think that there's a major risk because what we saw happen in California when Proposition 209 was passed, which essentially banned race conscious and gender conscious in public employment, public education, and public contract in the state of California, there was some overreaction. Many institutions pulled back on activities that were still legally permissible. And so one of the things that's important for colleges and universities to understand is that there's still much that they can do, and they shouldn't walk back from other efforts that are not affected by this ruling. For example, still legally permissible are efforts to make sure that faculty is diverse, making sure that student life and campus climate are inclusive, you know, and all these things will help create better pathways for students into these universities. Equally important is to make sure that we do have ethnic studies, that we do have Asian American studies, have more financial aid for low-income students, that we actually have targeted recruiting and outreach programs to, to reach students from underrepresented populations. And, you know, one of the things that's also not being talked about in this ruling is that it still does protect the ability of applicants to talk about their background in their college application essays. Affirmative action is still alive and well in the private sector. It's still alive and well in many of the things that, you know, affect uh, our, our daily lives. Unfortunately, you know, some small parts of the Asian American and Chinese American community have conflated the issue of educational scarcity with the uh, holistic admissions and race conscious admissions. You know, Asian Americans, I know you know this very well, but we're such a large and diverse group. We're not monolithic by any means, but we continue to see Asian Americans be painted as such in key political moments. There's this Supreme Court ruling, and we can think about local issues like crime and the recall of San Francisco political figures. This narrative persists. How does that complicate the work of organizations like yours? Well, I think it makes it even more important that, you know, our organizations are doing this work and that we're also articulating this challenge to the broader public. The reality is that Asian Americans do face discrimination. The reality is that Asian Americans don't have enough pathways to achieve the education that they may like. And I think that the idea that affirmative action somehow hurts Asian Americans is just upside down. 
right? And so there needs to be more and more work to make sure that, you know, all of our communities have access to, you know, the, the types of information that drive us towards, you know, better solutions. And at the same time, I will also say that, you know, Asian Americans also have to do a lot of work within our own communities, and that includes addressing anti-black racism, that includes understanding that misogyny exists within our community, right? So this isn't to suggest in any way that any community doesn't have its challenges. But in order for America to live up to its promise, and I think this really is the promise of America, uh, of a real multiracial democracy, it requires us to be able to look at, you know, all communities you know, with the, the richness, complexity, and diversity that they deserve. Vincent, beyond just the implications for higher education in the U.S., what does this Supreme Court ruling signal to you? Affirmative actions become this shorthand way for American public discourse to talk about race. But the, the ruling is really about higher education admissions in the narrowest sense, but it becomes like a window to understanding how people think about the question of race and also the question of identity, you know, writ large. You know, the biggest beneficiaries of affirmative action policies have been white women. That's statistically clear, right? And so, you know, this leaves like race on the table, you know, and I think that with everything that's going on and a big question for Asian Americans is to understand, you know, what the trajectories are. We can either go forward with civil rights laws, with DEI types of initiatives, with all these different things that sort of recognize that, you know, through diversity, there is strength. And then on the other side, as evidenced by the people who sit on the Supreme Court now and the people who put them on there, there's other path to kind of go back in time, you know, to make America, again, something that it used to be. You know, and so I think that's, you know, the, the political context that really matters. And I think as a society, we have to be able to, to have both conversations. And just on the higher education, you know, side for specifically San Francisco audience, to, to know there are more Asian Americans in Community College of San Francisco, City College of San Francisco, than there are in all the Ivy Leagues combined. That more than half of Asian Americans in any type of college are in Community College, right? And so this becomes like a real distorted way of, you know, thinking about, you know, our community's challenges, that somehow, like, fighting for a couple seats at a place like Harvard is going to be the pathway to make sure that our community gets the educational opportunities that it, that it wants. Vincent, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Vincent Pan is the co-executive director of Chinese for Affirmative Action. Learn more about the organization at caasf.org. For more coverage of the Supreme Court ruling on affirmative action, visit sfchronicle.com and the Chronicle app. This episode was produced by me, Laura Wenis, and Keith Manconi. Keith recently just joined the Fifth Emission team as a new producer. Welcome, Keith. Thanks to Gary Baca for editing this episode and to you for listening. <laughs> 